You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 429 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Mood. How are you guys doing? Doing well. How are you? How's your trip? Uh, yeah, it's going okay so far. Yeah. How about yours? Like, how about yours, Seth? <laughs> well, last week was good. <laughs> this week, less so. Um, I would like to congratulate Stephen on completing a flight. <laughs> Even crossed an ocean. I mean, that's a big deal. That was deep. That's deep. My, my, what's funny is my boss didn't make it. I made it, but my boss didn't. He got stuck in Cleveland. <laughs> I, I, I called that yesterday. <laughs> at, the, at the risk of being drunk, where did he start? Denver. And connected via Cleveland for a transatlantic trip? No, I was going to Newark, and they diverted. Ouch. Because of the weather. Yeah. He said it was it was not a great experience, in his words. <laughs> well, I could tell you about a, a delay, and well, I think we're going to talk about it in the bonus section, a delay on the trains here that uh, has left me in the wrong city overnight. So, Where are you, actually? I'm in Milan right now. Well, I'm in Malpensa, which is nowhere near Milan. Um, uh, is it closer to Minsk? Basically. I'm, I'm at it, yeah. It's... <laughs> It's like an hour out of town, 45 minutes out of town. Um, I'm at the Sheraton at the airport. Uh, things did not go well today after eight days of everything running more or less perfect. So, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but we we will we will talk about it in the bonus show. So our Patreon subscribers yeah. have to have to wait for that. So, um, let's talk about turkey sandwiches. Um, there was a post on Hellgate, which I didn't even know was a site. Uh, Hellgate, New York City. Um, Talking about the airport, the airport sandwiches costing fifteen bucks at uh, what was this? Was this JFK? Yeah, JFK. And this is a continuation of a long-running sort of problem at the airport, which you know, that basically the airport authority has a street price rule in place, yeah. which is the air, the concessions aren't allowed to charge more than it would cost to get the comparable item nearby. And it is always far more expensive than it would cost to get the comparable item nearby. I I would question that right now in New York. Someone just sent me a picture from Zavars where a ham and Swiss sandwich was like thirty dollars. <laughs> well, and so here becomes the problem of are the and Zabars actually wouldn't necessarily be that extreme an answer. But like when you look at what could a sushi roll cost, well that depends. Are you going to it's Monster Sushi closed many years ago now, I know, but like random mid-range sushi place, or are you going to fan, like Morimoto, which sells sushi rolls, right? And so there, there is some trouble there, but like, you know, the $5 water bottle, like if, and if any one place in town sells it at that price, are they, is everybody at the airport allowed to sell it at that price also? It's, it's been a problem for a long time. I think the, the most amusing part about this story though, is that the Port Authority has been catching a lot of flack for this, not surprisingly. And if I remember if I remember correctly, the story was basically about the person demanding documentation from the Port Authority that this has been checked and it's acceptable. Yep. And the Port Authority basically saying, Oh, we can't tell you how we validate our street pricing rule because that would like violate the confidentiality of our merchants kind of thing. <laughs> like and like so Yeah. Letting the merchants validate it was always what that statement is saying. 
it sounds like yes. It the Port Authority does not look good here at all. Well, to be fair, do they ever look good? On construction projects of late, and those have mostly been public-private partnerships, they've actually been on time and under budget, but it's mostly because they've stayed out of the way and it's been private partnerships. I think that's true. Terminal 1 was not under budget or on time. It was delayed. Uh, I was thinking of the JFK stuff, but fair. But JFK's not even done yet. Well, at any given point in time, there have been projects at JFK that finished. So did LaGuardia, but... Anyway. Yeah, did... I mean, I think I think this for the Port Authority just lacks a sense of um, transparency on how they're on how they're determining prices, and it becomes absurd because you know why and where in the world does a fifteen dollar turkey sandwich make sense? But Zaybars, <laughs> that's a half a sandwich. <laughs> oh, half a sandwich. <laughs> oh no, man. Um, let's talk about AA. They dropped their award charts, because that's good for everybody. Eh. Eh? You don't see it as a big deal? I do, but um, yes and no is sort of my answer there, like most things on the when, I, when presented with a controversial topic. Um, it sucks for premium awards. It sucks for... But those have already been sort of absurdly priced, because... They either just wouldn't release inventory for partners and had like multiple levels of premium in-house rewards. Um, I go back to when Delta dropped their chart a while ago um, and everybody, you know, similarly freaked out. And it was it was bad for premium long haul travel, but it also opened up the opportunity of seeing a lot of random uh better awards for uh, uh, sale stuff, basically, right? Like, mm -hmm. you get, like, the 3,000 or 5,000-point awards. Like, now, there's nothing that says they couldn't have done that even if they had award charts, so it's not necessarily great by any stretch, but it is. it has opened up scenarios where they, things got better um, a little bit. But, you know, this is, I would say, been a long time coming, in terms of the inflation of award yeah. pricing, so. But and if I remember correctly, it, the dynamic pricing is really on AA flights, right? The other stuff is still somewhat static. Partner awards, I believe so. I mean, it, I think this just re-solidifies my belief that earning frequent flyer miles and not a common currency is just not a good idea. I mean, you, you mean like yes. rather than credit card points? Yeah, like uh, ultimate rewards or membership rewards, where you have far more flexibility and you're not stuck in one economy. Can you guys, you do you both have a Capital One card, Foz? I know you do. You do. What am I supposed to do with these points? How do I redeem? Is it like I just I'm I'm terrible at this stuff, right? So, so the, I got the card, but is it asking, similar enough to the others, or you can transfer them into other programs? Or what I've really used mine for is towards airfare. Okay. So the nice thing is with. Capital One, you don't have to book through their agency. You can just go direct to the airline, book, and then you can go into your account, select it, and say, I want to apply points to this. And you can apply the full value or partial value of points, and it'll apply as a statement credit. Oh, nice. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't done it yet, but that's what that's what Foz sold me on. So what I'm looking forward to okay. trying. Yeah. So put that on the list of useful, uh, fungible currencies yeah. as well. Then. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I kind of agree with you, Foz. Like, I mean, I'm sitting on crazy amounts of miles every time i like look at a flight on united or something and i'm like oh i don't want to pay six hundred thousand miles to go to you know 
South Africa or something. Stupid. <laughs> Is it, isn't that the walk-up uh, reward redemption for Elephant? <laughs> Probably, yeah. With a con- with a connection, of course. <laughs> uh, so, uh, is it is it uh, our friends in Dublin, Aer Lingus, having trouble with their A three thirties? Is that is that what I'm reading? Yeah, they had they actually had to bring a Wamos plane in uh, to help backfill capacity. They've had like three planes go <laughs> tech in the last week or so, wow. and they only have a dozen. So. Very not good. I mean, they fly. They fly quite a few long haul routes to the U.S. and to uh, like parts of in the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, so I guess this this really dings some of that that capability. Yeah, and I think I think they moved the Wamos plane to Manchester because they have those routes mm-hmm. too now. Remember they they launched Aer Lingus UK when Virgin Atlantic walked away from Manchester. Yep. So um, that's a another factor in all this when they basically had one plane dedicated to manchester and it broke um but yeah they are struggling right now um with that fleet i haven't looked to see if they've had a bunch of if they've had more cancellations but like they had a plane i think it was headed to boston and it diverted to keflavik in iceland and then was still on the ground there a couple days later so haven't checked again lately but yeah there's been some uh there have been some troubles (laughs) Uh, in that fleet, not to be confused with troubles in Northern <laughs> Ireland. Um, I think there's 737 is having some problems, or the Max 737 Max has some problems as well. What's this about? Oh, so right after Boeing announced that they were ready to sort of ramp up build rates and they were finally going to start building more and delivering more planes more quickly, they discovered that a tail mount subsystem from that was being, I guess it was part of the fuselage build at Spirit Aerosystems was broken, like, not to spec. And so they've had to suspend deliveries of new builds again while they figure that out. Oh, my God. Um, and I think if I one of them, I think it was a Ryan airplane, ferried to Moses Lake at, like, 15,000 feet. So it's... But it, they're basically moving planes out of Renton now again to get ready to repair them. But they need to make they needed to make room on the ground in Renton to have space because they're still building. But like many things, they're going to build and then retrofit before they deliver. Yeah, I mean, I was I was reading that Spirit says that this could involve a problem that dates back four years, so it could be basically all the planes that were yeah. built since 2019. Yeah, since the grounding, basically. Um, which is like, it's also kind of funny to me. And this is a very much a just sort of how the FAA works and like, oh, we know that thing is broken, but it's probably okay for the next thousand flights, so don't yeah. worry about it. Like, but we know it's broken. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but like, it's only a little broken. <laughs> like in The Simpsons, where uh, Homer just put a piece of tape over the check engine light. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't, I shouldn't comment on that. Um, <laughs> I have maybe something similar in my crop. Um... <laughs> long story inherited from my father-in-law um it's always great when i go for a tune-up and they're like you know about these pieces of electrical tape over lights i'm like yeah don't worry about it so anyway but yeah there's some interesting challenges there for boeing there's also on the max 7 they applied for a deviation (laughs) even though it's not certified yet they've applied for 
permission to not finish developing, I think it's a flap control. I'll look it up while we're talking here. Um, like a flap control or something uh, for like a couple years while they're waiting to get it out the door. So they expect it will be certified with this basically bug in it. And then they'll fix that later. Hmm. And that's another silly thing, but like, you know, apparently it's pretty normal. There we go. The high lift flap slat electronics unit requires some change design changes, but Boeing wants certification on the Max 7 before those changes are implemented. <laughs> I I mean, okay. I don't have a I don't have a ton of things to say to it. Well, do you think the FAA would let them do that, right? Like that's becomes the big question. <laughs> the FAA has sort of been getting more aggressive with Boeing and saying, well, how about you like build a plane that works right the first time before we certify it? So, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Fuzz? <laughs> Just, well, I mean, I think part of this all comes down to Boeing outsourcing so much but not taking holding responsibility for a lot of the components anymore. I mean, sure, fine, they outsourced it, but like they are... Outsourcing is fine as long as you maintain quality control, and they're not. Even more than quality control, it's the specs you provide, right? You, like the one thing about outsourcing is you have to be very specific and very exact with what you expect, what you want, and every little nuance needs to be detailed and documented. And all too often, outsource agreements are rushed, and a lot of those details get missed and it's often like, oh, we'll figure it out later. And the problem is, when you figure out, try to figure it out later, it's, it results in change orders, change in processes, adds a lot more cost than if you had just done it yourself the first time. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, my experience with that sort of stuff, I know there was a, there was a funny, you know, thing making the rounds the other day. Of someone was like, oh, hey, boss, I'm not going to work in the office anymore because I can work remotely and it's all, it's just fine. And they're like, ah, yes, but I could just fire you and hire someone in South Asia at 40% of your salary. It's like, we've been through this before, outsourcing stuff to India. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but the consistency and whatever, like, there are challenges with that business model also. And so. the other thing about outsourcing versus insourcing, right? The one thing that's hard to quantify, rarely ever gets quantified in these decisions is the loyalty of an employee versus a vendor. An employee generally has a lot more embed, entrenched in the outcome than an external vendor. I wonder if that's still true. Uh, I think it is because most employees still have some sort of incentive plan that's tied to how the company performs. Yeah, but I mean, so does a vendor, right? I mean, I think the difference is arguably the how the company interacts with the vendor versus the people at the vendor. But, you know, it, it it's a big deal. You know, if you, if you do terrible work, as the, you're going to get fired either way. But are you, like, in this situation, right? Like, Boeing can't fire any of these vendors that they've subbed to. Well, they certainly can't fire Spirit Aerosystems. Right. Most of the vendors, they're, they, they're so reliant on, there's no other option. And I think that's part of it is a lot of these are have become sort of sole source solutions. Yeah. And that's probably the one thing they could do differently is have diversification No the vendors so they do have multiple sources so if one screws up they have options but i mean would anyone else consider investing in the infrastructure required to build fuselages it's possible yeah if there's money to be made someone will do yeah. it 
I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of the line from uh, Hunt for Red October. It's probably, you know, 110% of the reactor is possible, but not recommended. <laughs> but yeah, that's fair. And it had a Simpsons reference and a Hunt for Red October. So far, that's great. I love it. And a, and a sign of more to come. Um, so, um, Fort Lauderdale, flooding. Wow. They got 24 inches of rain in like seven yeah, hours. The, the video in and photos out of Fort Lauderdale are insane. Yeah, that was unreal. Um, had to close the airport, right? This is basically more water than they typically got during hurricanes hitting. <laughs> so the good news is most of it has drained off. I mean, they're back open again. They were able to recover. Operations are back in service. You know, things are back in service now. I don't think we didn't hear too much about JetBlue or Spirit facing like massive meltdowns of their overall broader operations. They were sort of able to isolate Fort Lauderdale from the network in both cases. But yeah, they did, that's they uh, did have the one flight that went Newark to Fort Lauderdale diverted to Nassau. And then really? Yes. I missed that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So you have a domestic flight which ends up international so no one can get off the plane. But of all the places to divert internationally, Nassau might be the best because they have a U.S. holding space. That's not a bad if sure. they had to let them off the plane, because there's pre-clearance there, there's technically a place that they could get off that they're, quote-unquote, in the United States. Absolutely. That's I'm sure they place. didn't, but uh, of all the places you had to do it, that's kind of an interesting quirk. Yeah, but you, you're also not far from Orlando, Tampa, Miami, yeah, Fort Myers. Like, why pick Nassau? That's pretty funny. The pilots, I think about the, the, the Fort Lauderdale passports, and they were like, "We can, we we can at least <laughs> each time we have baby." Well, a I great mean, group hotel there. We don't know what Atlantis. Well, I think the other wild card to that is, I think the crew didn't time out, but had they timed out, it makes it much harder to get people back in place. Yeah, right. Like that, that that is like you leaves you scratching your head uh, as to why they picked that. But the funny one, the, the amusing note from the Fort Lauderdale stuff was Seth posting that they were concerned about wildlife in the <laughs> water. I think it was Ross that shows that. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I was talking to one of, one of my friends and I'm like, I better hope you don't have a alligator bag. that's your check luggage. <laughs> they're coming for you. Yeah. They're coming for you. Um, and then silver, I mean, was it the water that diverted or has evicted silver from Fort Lauderdale? No, this is so. Silver Airways is another uh, is an is an airline. Whatever they uh, fly turboprops, uh, mostly on short haul flights in Florida and then to the Bahamas and a couple. I think they've got like South Carolina and a couple other short routes. But um, they apparently are way back. They are way behind on rent. Like they owe the airport authority a million dollars. And do you know the airport's on rent. What's that? I think it's like a year's. Yeah, this, this goes back like over a year. Yeah, this is, you know, COVID and whatnot. They sort of had, I guess they had a waiver and they've been trying to sort through it all, but it's finally catching up with them. Wow. Huh. So I haven't seen if this is resolved yet or not, but um, they're they're definitely having some trouble. Hmm. Um, and then there's a video that was got posted. Is this, this is a, is it MSNBC or is it just MBC? CNBC. Uh, of planes being stripped for parts. Are they, are they all A380s? Oh, <laughs> uh, I would assume no, because I doubt they got the budget to travel to, oh, okay. to produce the video. But yes, um, no, it's just a neat. Uh, it's like a ten-minute short, but showing the process of sort of stripping the planes down and 
talking about how much value is left in a plane, even as it's retired from service at the end of its use, quote unquote, useful life. Uh, it's always amazing how much stuff is in there. And then, you know, not shown, but also in the process of like, there is the process of then taking the parts, reinspecting them, recertifying stuff that gets reused hmm. uh, and put back into other planes. And I can't remember if we talked about, I think we did about the Russian A330s going to Iran yes. to get service. I think we briefly did. Uh, is there any update on that? No, it happened. I mean, the first one's there. So, but like just the idea of, you know, stripping planes down and cannibalizing them for parts, like in some ways it's fine, but you kind of need it to happen per the guidelines, per the manual. And do you trust Iran to do that right? Um, but yeah, overall it's fine. But they, they, it's an interesting sort of situation there. Maybe that's why Erlingus is having problems with their 330s. They've got spare parts from Iran in there. Or vice versa. The, the, someone stripping the parts to go to Shipping Iran. them to Iran, yeah. I would assume no, but... Black, black market. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a cool video. Um, worth the 10 minutes of your time to watch yeah. it, I think. Um, and then BA is adding Avios-only flights. What? What? So this is something Qantas has done a few times, and they're super popular. They basically put every seat on... They, on a random flight available at saver level okay. awards. Um, that's huge marketing for the program. And uh, I want to say BA is doing it for some random Caribbean island. And then I think Geneva yep. for ski vacations mm. next spring. And so, you know, like a Saturday outbound following Saturday return, you can if you're one of the lucky 180 people that could get a seat, you get it for, they're not as cheap as they used to be, but for whatever the saver level rate is, plus taxes. Hmm. So, it's a neat idea, it's fun, it helps generate buzz for the program, but uh, going back to you know, the points and, you know, award charts and things like that, I don't think that the BA short haul award chart is that great anymore, so it's not like it's yeah. great value yeah. in my mind, but but it's it gets people fired up. Is that that's what you're saying? Maybe. Yeah. People are really getting fired up for redemption of flights. <laughs> yes. I mean, you're right. Like, admittedly, like it's only 180 seats, but they do them in relatively peak times around vacation, like holidays and whatnot, and times where typically you would not otherwise see award seats. Okay. And not everybody gets the seat, right? There's only so many seats on board, but right. it does actually, it creates mm -hmm. the buzz. Okay. It's good for the program. Um, what else we have? We got JR Real Pass. This was, this kind of blew up on our Twitter. Um, the prices are going up in October. They're going up a lot. They're going up a lot, which is not great, but they've been low for a long time. And last I checked the current, like the, Yen is still relatively undervalued against mm -hmm. the dollar. So it's going from being a tremendous value to just being affordable again. But also, and this is, I mean, last time I went to Japan, I was there for 10 days and we took the train a few times, but it made more sense for us to, if you know when, when and where you want to go mm -hmm. in advance, it made more sense for us to book the specific trains we wanted in advance. And it was much cheaper than getting the pass and... Uh, going from there. Hmm. So I'm like sense. booking the specific trains, not using the pass, and 
it, it was cheaper. Is that is that how I'm understanding it? And you, yeah. I mean, that's still going to hold true now, right? Like, since the prices are going. It seems like it should. I haven't seen details on if the uh, other prices are going up mm-hmm. similarly, but even if they do, I would imagine it holds pretty close to similar. It, it, it'll go up in a sort of in a parallel manner that the discounted advanced purchase tickets are better. Yeah. And it's not like you like the other thing about the JR pass is like you have to buy it in advance. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can't get to Japan and be like, oh, I should have bought the week long or three week long pass to ride trains every day. And I mean, is it does it make sense to use the JR pass if you like, let's say, you know, you're going to do three weeks in Japan. Does it make sense to get it even if you know you're going to do it in advance? Like, is there a benefit or is it like, can I can I ride any train? Or like, how does it work? It's most trains within parts of the system. Mm-hmm. So there's caveats. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of caveats. Uh, and so it's, I think it's so that even within Japan Rail, which is what JR stands for, I think the system is split into two parts, if I remember correctly. And so it only works on part and one of those. And then it doesn't work on the fastest of the Shinkansen's, the high-speed trains, but it works on most of the rest of them. So, uh, and like, where I think it actually has been a great value uh, historically and even you know still today is if you want to go and ride a lot of trains. If you want to ride the train every day and go find like fun little excursions like there's a train line that's got art in it or uh, there's one that has like the hot the, the hot bath, the onsens and like weird things like that. John Walton who's been on the show a few times uh, has some great coverage of that in his timelines and whatnot uh he was just there recently and has some good stuff jason rabinowitz who's also been on many times uh has some good history with that as well but um for most sort of general level travel it's sort of like the interrail pass or or your rail pass in europe like if you know where you're going um and not just like oh hey uh there's a train leaving now i guess i'll go get on it um typically you're better off buying in advance but there's something to be said for having the flexibility or the high volume to uh, take advantage of the pass. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's like for me, like the rail pass in Europe, not necessarily knowing what day we want to leave somewhere and go somewhere else was was kind of a benefit. Uh, with, but with a general plan of knowing we needed like a month, uh, you know, what, what, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, let's be, to be, you know, my last time I bought a Eurail pass was 24 years ago. So, my guess is things have changed a little bit, but when I did it, they had an option that was sort of unlimited for the, a month or like any 10 days within yep. 30 kind of thing. And we actually did that because we knew about the number of days that we were going to travel. And it made, that made yeah, sense for us. Absolutely. But, um, and, you know, who the heck knows if I could do it right again. Yeah, I haven't looked at, I haven't looked at the rail pass for Europe in quite a while. But, yeah, I mean, I think this sucks general. I think it sucks just for the fact that one, how many people were using it, right? If if not a ton of people were using it, they just raised the price because to make it more uh, advantageous for them, uh, the, the rail companies. I mean, that kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. I have to expect that more people were using it than we think. I don't know. It's weird. I guess so. And they, they saw... Or they just realized that it was, like, still way too cheap. The few people who were using it were getting yeah, a bit of a deal. Yeah. I mean... There's also the possibility of the cost of the service itself, right? Things have gotten more expensive in, in, the, sure. in the last yeah. two years. Yeah, that's a good point. 
There's a Russian cargo plane stuck on the ground in Canada. Oh, it's been there for months. For a year, yeah. It's hit hit over $300,000 in parking fees so far now. It's on the edge over by Terminal 1. Is this in Toronto? Yeah, it appears. Nice. That's a lot of parking fees. It's like, we can, you guys can just have it now. <laughs> uh, lastly, Sudan. Um, it's kind of descended into chaos in Sudan. Um, it's a little bit of a coup know, going on. Uh, and airspace has been closed, so it's affecting some, some flights. I think, I think the big one was the Sao Paulo to Dubai flight. Um, since it couldn't overfly Sudan, had to uh, divert to, was it Dar es Salaam? Yeah. Yep, Somalia. No, no. no. it's Mogadishu. Dar es Salaam. Yeah, I know. I was, well, that's what I was. I was I, when when, yeah, when Paz could, confused me. He said, "Dar." I thought it went to Somalia. No, it went to Dar. Uh, okay. In Tanzania, and then did, did just did a gas and go to keep moving. So that's the good news. I guess they had enough crew hours left to keep moving. But I mean, also there was a Sky Up seven thirty seven, and Sky Up just got a plane out of uh, Kiev a couple weeks ago. And then seems like they probably lost one in, uh, in what's called in mm-hmm. Khartoum this week, and also a three thirty from Saudi. Looks like it's probably not going to fly out. Yeah, there are pictures pictures of them on fire, and I think the the Saudi flight was attacked by gunfire while it was boarded and ready to go. Yeah, that was crazy. They they issued a statement saying. The airline issued a statement saying that all of the crew had been evacuated to the embassy safely, but did not account for all the passengers. <laughs> well, um, so I don't, you know, that was an interesting sort of all the information they could get at the time. And maybe they have since I, I've been on vacation. I haven't been following this stuff too closely, but yeah, not great. Well, if you're flying over central Africa, just be watching, uh, don't go to Sudan, but also just be watching if you, you might have a flight of the, that goes, you know, diversion just for tech reasons so um although i bet they're planning for it now to go around that that was just that happened kind of in the middle of it the the uh emirates flight so yeah i would i mean i mean we can pull it up i would i would bet that if emirates planned correctly i can load a little more fuel yeah, and be fine i was gonna say fuzz I, I don't know that i would land an a3 i mean i don't think you technically can land an a380 in mogadishu um but i don't know that anyone would because i think i think there's still like cases where planes get shot at in mogadishu and that, that well, making system? making like a giant target in Mogadishu, I feel like is like a bad bad play. <laughs> so, um, where's your yeah. sense of adventure? Now, one thing I did read is that uh, Sudan has had more coups than any other country in the history of the world. I did not know that. I have not been able to fact check that, but if true, it's kind of amusing. <laughs> Crazy. Um, so in the in the Bonus topics for our Patreon subscribers. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, my experience on VA, um, some of the, the lounge interesting intricacies, and then uh, Seth's uh, adventures in Italy. So stick around for that if you subscribe to us on Patreon. Um, but for now, we're just going to say happy travels. Take care. Take care.